I'm Michael Foster, and you're listening to It's Good to Be a Man, the podcast where we are extending God's house and father rule by helping men to establish their own houses in strength, workmanship, and wisdom. This episode is a session that I did at the 2020 Builders Summit. In it, I talk about repairing the broken down vineyard of your life. Proverbs 24, verses 30. I passed by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense. And behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. When I saw, I reflected upon it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then your poverty will come as a robber and your want like an armed man. I love the book of Proverbs. It's um, the wisdom literature. If you want to be a man, you should spend time in the wisdom literature. Proverbs in particular was written by a father to his son uh, on how to be a, a godly ruler, how to be a good king, and by the wisest man ever, obviously, Solomon. So it's a great book to study, especially if you didn't have a dad. Solomon can give you his fatherly wisdom to Proverbs. I also like the book of Proverbs because it repeatedly shows us that our real-life output is a product of our spiritual state. It reminds us that there's an undeniable relationship between our heart and our hands, our attitudes and our action. And anyone, if you just read a single chapter of the book, you'll walk away concluding that our inner life and our outer life are intimately intertwined and people want to break those things apart, but the Word of God doesn't let us. And yet there's a tendency to claim that our behavior has nothing to do with our internal state. We're like uh, the mother of a man that's com- committed some horrific crime. I actually rented a house from a serial killer. It's a long story. Nonetheless, uh, um, I saw his mom give an interview on 60 Minutes, and she did what every mom did. Like, he's really a good boy. He's really a good boy. No. No, he's a, he's a serial killer. Um, so no matter how terrible... His acts where the mother will always insist that deep down he really was a good boy. And that's how we treat ourselves. No matter how disordered our home is, no matter how poor our health is, no matter how messed up our finances are, no matter how friendless we are, it really isn't our fault. These things aren't a reflection of our soul. Deep down, we're really a good boy. We meant well, but we could not overcome the extenuating circumstances of a fallen world. In this sense, we see ourselves as a victim. That's our default, and perhaps we wouldn't use that particular word, because you know you don't want to say you're a victim, but your behavior tells a lot. It's our starting place, Uh, but our starting place is that if there is a problem, it's out there somewhere, right? It's not us, it's somewhere out there. It isn't inside us. We're not responsible. Some other force is behind it. We had a bad dad. I hear that all the time. We have a hormone issue. No, you're fat. You're fat. You ate too much carbs. You didn't work out enough. It's your fault. It's probably not hormones. It might be. I get it. There's like some small percentage, but you're probably just lazy and unwise with your diet and activity. That's, that's probably what's going on. I know it was, has been for me as I'm getting in better shape. You grew up in the wrong part of the country. You're just temperamentally shy or you're too boisterous. Uh, The man is holding you down, right? You got some superior 
at work or at church that is threatened by your ability or, or whatever. It's a bad economy. That's why you're not succeeding right now in business. And worst of all, most men won't say this out loud, but you get there sometimes. It's God's fault for the output of your life. You blame it on him. On and on and on. Excuse after excuse. And this mindset's not new. However, it's become the predominant feature of American culture. We are all victims. And ultimately, no one is responsible for the output of their life. It's something else. It's never you. Well, Proverbs hammers that mindset into a million tiny pieces. It absolutely destroys it. The state of your life is a clear indicator of your spiritual state. And yes, by and large, you are responsible for your current reality, wherever that is. You are the central cause of your problems. And yes, there are other factors, but usually you are the main factor. That should be our default. Instead of needing others uh, to convince us that we're just maybe an itty-bitty part of the problem, uh, it should be the other way around. We should assume that we're to blame or at least responsible in some way or another. And blame and responsibility, there's, there's a difference, right? Um, so if you have a wife that's not following your lead and she's being troublesome, right, and you're, you're doing a good job, that's not necessarily your fault, right? You're not to blame for that, but you're still responsible for everything that happens in your household, right? Just like if you're a manager in a store and you have a bad employee, you might not be causing that employee to be bad, but you're responsible to do something about it. Right, so those are distinctions we want to keep in tension. So you're either to blame or you're responsible. And again, that isn't always the case, but it usually is. Uh, this is a hard truth for us Americans to embrace. We become a nation of blame shifters and pity seekers and excuse makers. But the blunt reality is really simple. If your vineyard is, mess, is a mess, it's because you're a mess. That's, that's the reality. That's what's going on. I tell you, the first step to being a man is taking responsibility for yourself. How in the world can you take responsibilities for others if you won't take responsibility for yourself? And if you grew up like I did, um, you can make all sorts of excuses and have a victim mindset. But I know when I broke free from that victim mindset, by God's grace, that's where things really started to change. And it's been a battle. It's been a battle my whole life. It's a battle for you, I'm sure, too. There are things outside our control. There are ways in which we are truly victims. Some of you have grown up in terrible homes. Some of you have been molested. Some of you grew up with an abusive dad. A dad that called you names and never encouraged you. A dad that beat you. A home that was disordered. Like intense poverty. I've been there. I grew up above a bar. Like prostitutes used to service their johns outside my window. Middle of the night I'd wake up with my pellet gun and I would shoot the drunks. 2.15 they had to get out of the bar. So I'd shoot them with my pellet gun. Uh, they didn't know what was going on. <laughs> they didn't know where it was coming from. Uh, but usually it's because you're getting in some drunken fight, and I just shoot them for fun, you know. But some of y'all are growing up in some bad situations, right? I get that. And I'm not denying it. However, personal responsibility is a clear teaching of Proverbs and the rest of Scripture. No one's standing before God for you, right? I mean, I know we have an advocate in Jesus. But you still stand before them, right? Now, here's a good thing. If we're the cause of our problems, we can, by God's grace, uh, be part of the solution for them. I'm not talking about regeneration 
and justification. That alone is the work of God. What I'm talking about is the practical reality of our life. I'm talking about practical holiness or sanctification. That's something that does involve us. And some of you guys might know Jocko Willink. I read his book a while back. He's a Navy SEAL. He became a popular author and a podcaster. And he likes to talk about extreme ownership. He says, on any team, in any organization, all responsibility for success and for failure rests with the leader. The leader must own everything in his or her world. There is no one else to blame. The leader must acknowledge mistakes, admit failures, take ownership of them, and develop a plan to win. It's good stuff, man. I like, I like Jocko. You learn a lot from him. But before Jocko, there was David. And David, as you know, he failed in sin with Bathsheba. And he was rebuked by the prophet Nathan. A beautiful story of, of brotherly love there, of someone correcting someone, wounding someone for their spiritual good, for the glory of God. And David, showing that he really did have a heart after God, is humbled and repents. He writes Psalm 51. And in Psalm 51, he sings, For I know my wrongdoings, and my sin is constantly before me against you and you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. He took ownership. He didn't like, she was a naked chick on the roof. What was I supposed to do, right? He didn't do any of that. He owned it. He didn't make excuses. After Nathan rebuked him, right away he was broken. He owns his sin and he keeps on singing. He says, behold, you desire truth in the innermost being and in secret you will make wisdom known to me. Purify me with hyssop and I will be clean, cleanse me, and I'll be whiter than snow. So your problems are mostly products of sin. That's what they mostly are. Own them. Own them like David. Name your sins. Say what you are. And then ask God to forgive you, to cleanse you. Ask God to sanctify you. And then get, get to trust in He who began a good work in you, who is faithful to complete it. And that brings us to our passage, what I want to talk about. Uh, verse 30, it says, I passed by the field of a sluggard, or of the sluggard. Now, this passage connects the spiritual reality of a man to his economic reality. Solomon observes his field and vineyard, and from the, dilap- the dilapidated state, he is able to deduce that they are under the care of a sluggard, right? He's passing judgment on that man. He's looking at it. I passed by the broken down car of a man. I learned. I passed by the man whose lawns never, ever mowed, right? I saw a man's uh, checking account. Like, you can look at things in people's lives and determine something about them. You can do that because trees bear fruit. And that's what he's doing. You say, I don't know your heart. I know your works, though. I see your life, right? You ever people say, you don't know me, man. You don't know my heart. But you can see someone's heart. It works out in their life. And so it is here. It's true that a vineyard could be in disrepair because of some terrible storm, a famine, a war, perhaps a devastating death in the family. There are other reasons for someone's life being all jacked up besides being a sluggard. Uh, For that reason, when you're passing judgment on others, I'd urge you always to appropriately slow down in coming to a judgment, right? We don't have final judgment. Our judgments, we're not God. We don't see all. And our judgments, we're always adjusting along the way. You give me new information, I might adjust my judgment. But sometimes we've got to make decisions, and we make decisions with the information we have, right? Maybe, some, maybe someone is walking like a gangster because he's putting on a big show. I don't know. Maybe he has cerebral palsy. I have no clue. All right? You want to be careful sometimes. 
But you can make judgments, and Solomon does. However, we should know that the reality is, in most cases, our life is wrecked in a wrecked state because of our own poor decisions and laziness. That is the fact. Look back on the biggest mistakes of your life. How major of a role did you have to play in that situation? Right? A few bad things or tragedies we want to say. A few of them weren't my fault. You can think like, I, I didn't make that happen. But the majority were. And regardless, I was responsible for how I reacted to all of them. Right? Big thing for me is control the controllables. The things that are outside of my control, I just pray to God and trust Him. I revealed things belong to me. Uh, the Lord is sovereign. He's good. But there's things that He's put in my life. I can take action on them now. Those are the things I'm most concerned about. And so we, we can choose how we're going to react. Are we going to react with a godly mindset to a situation? Do we, do we believe what James teaches us? That even trials are a blessing because God perfects us and grows us and matures us. So we, we can control our attitude. Uh, much of Scripture is about giving us a godly mindset, having the mind of Christ, humility and trusting in the goodness of God in our life. So you, you can even control those things. In 1989, a tornado wrecked my grandmother's farm in Osgood, Indiana, 1,100 people. It was a bunch of tornadoes that year, all over southern Indiana, and just a really rough year. And it destroyed our chicken coop. We had a chicken coop that it lifted up, and I don't know where it went to. No one does. This is gone. <laughs> tornadoes are crazy. Across the road, there's a brick gazebo, and next to it was a glass greenhouse at some rich family's house. The gazebo was gone. And the glass greenhouse, not broken at all. It's strange how that stuff happens. And it caused massive damage to our barns. I remember my grandfather was fixing the slate roof on one, and uh, it ripped off his skin on his finger. You could see his bone. And that old man, he just like ripped his uh, bandana and tied it around and then later poured iodine. I don't even know what iodine is, but you might as well just pour like uh, like orange juice into a cut or something. It's, it's, it's miserable. And he was like, hey, you got a cut? No, Grandpa, no cut. I'm cool. No iodine for me. But um, it destroyed 10 acres of fencing for our, our cows, and we had to go out there and fix all that. It cracked the roof of the house. Uh, things were in disrepair for a short season as uh, they got their bearings. But within days, they started the rebuilding effort, and within weeks, things were rel- relatively back to normal. But uh, the tornado left, left its mark on that farm. So it is with personal crises. Uh, they may make a mess, but we have a responsibility to diligently respond in faith, we mustn't be a sluggard. Slugger is a word that's fallen out of usage. Sounds like slug, right? You don't hear it very often. The main one you hear is the derivative sluggish. It's not even a common word in Scripture, actually. Uh, it only appears 14 times, and every one of those appearances are located in the book of Proverbs. So although it isn't common in the whole Scripture of the Word, it's an important recurring theme in Proverbs. Uh, one of my favorite dictionaries to go to is the 1828 Webster's. It's just so much better than the normal Webster's, just like the modern one, the better de- uh, definitions. Anyway, sluggard uh, is a person habitually lazy, idle, and inactive. And that's what it means, someone that's idle and active. And I want to look at some of the traits of a sluggard and how we can learn from them both negatively and positively and take greater responsibility for our life, right? Extreme ownership over our, our vineyard. And again, I want you to see, or I want you to think as we read through this, of the connection of our inner and outer life, spiritual and practical. Matthew Henry, which is just a great free commentary online, I've been reading it since I first became a Christian, when he gives his commentary on this passage, he says, Our souls are fields and vineyards, which are 
everyone, which we are every one of us to take care of, to dress, to keep, they are capable of being improved with good husbandry that may be got out of them, which will be fruit abounding to our account. We are charged with them to occupy them till our Lord come, and a great deal of care and pains it is requisite that we should take about them. In other words, we, we are involved in growing in godliness. And so we want, we can apply this both ways, right? Because some of y'all, maybe you do have your finances in shape, right? Maybe you are, you are like in good health and you do present well and your career is going well, uh, but you're spiritually a wreck. Maybe you're spiritually a wreck. And if that's the case, almost all those other things are going to be falling apart as well. Wherever, where, where are you being a sluggard? Where can you grow? So let's, let's get to it. Here's a quick survey of sluggard used in Proverbs. And I'm just going to look at a few of them. We'll look at five of them and let's see how many toes I can step on. Um, the first one is a sluggard is a prolific consumer. Proverbs 13, four. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the soul of the diligent is made fat. And then Proverbs 21, 25. The desire of the sluggard puts him to death, for his hands refuse to work. Now, nothing is wrong with uh, consuming isms. Like, right, when you put isms on something, it generally is bad. Like to be rational, good. Rationalism, bad. To consume, good. Consumerism, bad. Right, it's good to consume. The creator realms, a gift from God. And we have this Gnostic tendency to think that creation itself is bad, like the matter is bad. Like there's something wrong with trees and mountains and the body and flesh and all that. Uh, that's, that's not what scripture teaches. This is still a good gift from God. Um, I, I just was writing a chapter for a book and was writing on uh, guys like Augustine and uh, Tertullian and a lot of the early church fathers thought to have sex just to, to have a good time. That was that sex always involved sin. That's always they thought that in some way or shape. And I was just reflecting on what it says in Proverbs, where it's like clearly he likes her breasts and he likes having sex. And that's why he's doing it. He's having a good time. Now, obviously, that brings image bearers and God wants to propagate a godly seed. If you if you know Malachi, two, and you know the Westminster Confession, and I would assume the London Baptist has it there because they cut and paste in most things, except the ecclesiology. Um, but uh, but uh, the matter's good. Bodies are good. They're fallen. They're marred. And so, but you should enjoy coffee. I love it. You know, every time I drink coffee, I just, I'm happy. It makes me happy. I praise God for it. Every time I have a, a, an apple or I eat food, I praise God for it. Every time I make love with my wife, I praise God for it. These things are good. It, there's things that we should consume and say, praise God for these good things. He made this world for us, right? For us to fill with worshipers that would lift up his name. So nothing's wrong with consuming the good things God's made, but the sluggard is consumed by the things he desires. And yet he is unwilling to take action to make his desires a reality. He's a talker, a dreamer, a binger. I've been thinking about binging a lot lately. I don't know where people are on Disney Plus right now. I know Disney's an enemy, but Mandalorian's quite good. Um, and I, I watched Mandalorian with my family every Friday. So I was like, look, tonight you can watch without me. Depending on the Wi-Fi, I might catch up or I might wait till I get home. So, um, 
But what I like about The Mandalorian is that they learned something that Netflix has failed to learn, is that uh, people, if you give them the whole season, they'll watch it all, all, like all at once. And then they wonder, like, okay, now what's next, right? The dopamine's like, bam, it's like blowing in their, their brain, and they just want to keep going. And that's why Netflix is loaded down with this crap, like terrible TV shows, like, what is this? This is like some weird ripoff of this Pixar thing, and it's Russian, you know, like weird stuff. Now, I, I don't have Netflix anymore. Couldn't go that far. Uh, got rid of that one for a while. But Netflix releases everything at once to get you addicted, but they can't keep up with it because they underestimated people's desire to consume, to binge. Disney Plus is smart. They roll out a new episode uh, every Friday, and it keeps you coming back. And as a family, we look forward to it. And uh, we, we actually kind of value it more. And uh, that's how it used to be when you were a kid. Remember, if you missed an episode, too bad, buddy. Wait till summer reruns. You know, you're not going to see it. And my kids, my kids didn't even know what uh, commercials were too late in their life because we hadn't had cable. And we went to their grandma's house. They're like, what is this thing? This Is this part of the show? No, it's a commercial. Um, but binging diminishes a commitment to quality is what you'll find. If you binge drink, the quality of the alcohol source matters less and less. If you binge watch, the quality of the show matters less and less. I always hear people say, hey, you got any new good shows for me to watch? And I'm like, new shows for you to watch? Where do you find the time? Like, where, like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm backed up like four years, man. Like, what, like, what are you doing? Where do you have, you know, I, I, I'm doing good to get six and a half, seven hours of sleep and watch like a show here and there. But it's because they just like go, it's just always going, always binging. Binging creates a hunger. That must always be fed. And after a while, anything will do. Anything. That's how the porn stuff goes from weirder and weirder and weirder. When people tell me they're looking at porn, I hate the questions I have to ask. I have to find out, is it images? Is it videos? Okay, so it's videos. All right. Is this like normal stuff? Is like a guy and a girl? Or like, what are we talking about here? As a pastor, you have to do that. Because I'm trying to figure out, like, where are we at in this process? Like, how messed up is this situation? How do I need to tackle this? Right? And I, I get answers that run the whole spectrum. You know, I've even said, man, that's gross. And they said, I thought you weren't supposed to say things like that. I, what do you want me to tell you? Like, I'm here for you, but, like, this is bad, man. You're in a bad place. Binging does that. Binging, like, you just, you just lower and lower everything. And it trains you to consume and not produce to talk and not walk, to hear and not do, even with sermons, even with sermons in Christian books. Guys brag to me how they listen to like five sermons a day. That just means you're stupid. That's all that means, man. There is no way that you are retaining all that. Where is the meditation in your life? Where is the digestion? Right? I listen to one sermon a week, sometimes two. Now, look, I don't want to, I'm not trying to put a weird guilt trip on you. If you're benefiting from it, I know y'all have different jobs. You're going to listen to something. And, and right now, listening to political stuff makes you like probably want to rise up in rebellion or something. So maybe backing that down might be a good idea. Um, but, but man, the way we treat sermons sometimes, I hear, well, who's your favorite preacher? You wouldn't know him, right? He's not famous. Favorite preacher is the one I know because I, I don't play fantasy football with preachers, man. What is this? You weirdo. What has happened to us? This is crazy. And always learning and never, ever applying. 
So much knowledge. Look, manly virtue comes by tossing yourself into life. Everyone calls me and asks me for a book. And I'm so sick of it. You don't need a book. You probably know enough. You need to act on it. You really do. I can give you a list. Do you want a book? I got tons of books I can tell you. I put it on our website just so I could like give people the link so they leave me alone. But I honestly, most of the things are really simple. And it's a matter of act, actually taking action and acting on it. Right? And I found that manhood, and this is why not having fathers for the last several decades is so devastating. Like it or not, manhood is 80% caught and only 20% taught. It's just the truth, man. You can listen to my podcast all you want, read all the books you want. But you got to get with the brothers, and you got to get mentors and fathers and pastors. You just got to do it. That's all. Oh, well, how do I catch up? You don't. You're always behind. That's why we need the gospel. Like when bad things happen, there's consequences. I learned things in my 30s. I should have learned in my 20s and things in my 30s. I should, you know, or excuse me, I learned things in my 30s and my 20s and 40s now. I should have learned in my 30s. I'm behind, but I'm catching up. God's merciful. But there's real consequences in society for these things. And that's why I meet guys. They just want to do a good job. right? They want to know the right way to, to court a girl, date a girl. They want to know the right way to be manly. And they're looking for all these like step-by-step instructions. right? They think there's like a paint-by-number guide for manhood. right? The closest I can get you is Bob Ross. And even that's a stretch, right? Just a little happy, a little like it's you know it's a it's a mountain and you mess up. Well, it'll turn it to a cloud. We'll work with this. It's all right, you know. Uh, it's broad strokes. It's broad principles, and it's not paint by number. And I think if I just read one more book, man, if you read one book, meditate on it and act on it, you're going to get so much farther than your friend that can spit out quotes but isn't doing anything, right? Stop being a consumer. You will fail, 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 right? Doesn't mean don't consume good things. Please do. Right? The word of God is bread. It's milk. It's strength, right? It's fire. It's passion. It's everything. The word, like the Lord works through it. Have a daily diet, daily meditation. But I'm telling you, you need more meditation, more digestion. That's what you need. A sluggard is an excuse maker. Proverbs 26, 13. The sluggard says there's a lion in the road. A lion is in the open square. Proverbs 22, 13 kind of says almost the same thing. There's a lion outside. I'll be killed in the streets. This is crazy. There are not lions in the streets. Even back then, they're in the wilderness, right? Like cougars and lions don't want to come around people. That doesn't happen very often. They want to stay away. It's, what's that? Not in Jersey. Well, in every other place, that's usually the case. Nonetheless, um, this guy is making up an excuse. And sluggers have an excuse for everything, right? All the time. And as a man, you have to train yourself when you make a mistake, right? If you oversleep, don't give an excuse. Just say, why were you late to work? There's no excuse for it. I'm sorry. The guy will maybe be more mad then but respect you in the long run, if you give him an excuse, oh, okay. But then if you keep doing that, he's never going to trust you again. You're going to erode the trust because he knows, I can't believe anything this guy says. This guy is just making excuses. And the sluggard is always making excuses. And I, I, I love um, 
If you take Proverbs 26, 13, the lion on the road, I'm not going out there and just oppose it with David in 1 Samuel 17. But David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's uh, sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a sheep from the flock, I went out after it and attacked it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it rose up against me, I grabbed it by its mane and struck it and kill it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has defied the armies of the living God. I just love it. I love it. Holding up that head, sore, right? It's amazing. Every little boy loves that. My kids love it. But think about it. The slugger's like, there's a lion. David's like, there's a lion. I'm going to kill it. He's getting in the way of my job. He's the opposite. And uh, look, here's why you can secede in this world. I'm going to give you the real answer. It's because this world was made for you. That's the answer. God made the world in six days. On the sixth day, he put man in it as, the, as a vice regent, as a royal priesthood to rule and reign over this. The reason you can do uh, what a man's supposed to do is the reason a screwdriver can screw in a screw. Right? You were made to be a man, to get it done, to protect, to provide, to preside. This is what you were made to do, man. Stop letting people tell you you can't. This isn't like some, like, I'm not trying to coddle you and be Mr. Positivity. It's just a fact of creation. You're made to, to grab life by the horns. You're made to conquer these things. Stop making excuses. It's not true that you can't overcome, that you can't actually provide for your family, that you can't sweep your wife off the feet, that you can't disciple your kids, that you can't evangelize people. That, that's just not true. God commands it. He made you for that. His design. Stop making excuses. No one believes it. Most of us see through you anyway. The sluggard's making, always making excuses. The sluggard's a beggar. Proverbs 24, the sluggard does not plow after the autumn, so he begs during the harvest and has nothing. And this is what happens to a lot of folks, is that they don't put in the hard work when they're young, and they have to catch up. The weird thing about manhood is that, so look, every guy wants to have sex with a girl, right? And we know to do that, we're Christians, we've got to marry her, right? You know that, right? All right, good. Um, so, like, you get yourself a wife, and then you get her pregnant. And then, if she's pregnant with a son, then it hits you. I don't know how to raise a son. I mean, this is so many guys. Because manhood is a baton, right? It's handed from one generation to the next. That's that 80% caught. And I can remember this happening to me. I've told this story a bunch of times. I'll give you the short version. But I was watching Click with Adam Sandler. You know, great cinema. Our, our generation, Citizen Kane, right? Always good stuff. And there's this, he's got this remote control that allows him to skip through time. And he accidentally, or the remote control learns what he doesn't want to watch or be involved in. And that's namely conversations with his kid and wife. And he wakes up and he's at this uh, wedding and his daughter is getting married and he's, he's isolated from his family. His marriage is bad. And, and then uh, his, his daughter, he's dancing with her and she says, Daddy, and it's another man. And it's her stepfather. And so she sees her stepfather as her father, not him. And he's like, oh, it just hits him hard. And I'm watching this middle of the day on a Saturday. My wife was pregnant with my son and doing dishes. I think I let her have shoes on that day, but um, in the kitchen. But um, 
anyway, it's for the feminists if they've got this far. Um, but, uh, but then I start, I just start crying. I just start bawling out of nowhere. Like, it just like came out of me. I'm not a crier. And my wife's like, what's wrong? She comes in. I'm like, oh, you know, and I like run upstairs. She follows me. And I'm like covering up my head. I don't know what's happening, right? I've told this story to a lot of men. And I told it to one of my friends. And he was an older man, like 40, from Africa. Funny enough, he went to go see Lion King with his like 12-year-old son when it first came out back in the day. And he said uh, when Mufasa falls and dies, uh, he started bawling in the theater, just like really loud, woo, like, you know, African moans. And uh, the, uh, I don't know what you'd call him, the guy with the flashlight, like, sir, sir, what's going on? You're going to have to quiet down. You're going to have to leave. And he had to leave. He couldn't stop crying. And I said, hey, man, what do you think? What is this? Why are we like this? Why are we crying? And he said, uh, we're a nation of bastards. And I was like, that, that phrase, I didn't know what he really meant at the time. I went home, I Googled it, right? And then I found uh, bastard, but you know, what it means. But also it's in scripture, right? Illegitimate son, in the old King James. If you're not disciplined by a father, you're a bastard. Because a father disciplines his son. That's us. A lot of us haven't been disciplined by a father. Right? The good discipline, formative, restorative, both. Shaping disciplines. And so when you get that woman... And then, uh, then you don't, then you have that son, you realize, oh, I don't have a baton to hand off. And so that's why scripture says, young men, I'll speak to you right now. Um, uh, first prepare your field and then build your house. Same chapter here, Proverbs 24. Uh, get, get those habits, man. Get a job, get some money, right? Get some spiritual disciplines yeah, before you go get in chicks. Um, everyone will tell you, this is going to step on toes maybe, everyone will tell you that guys are getting married like when they're 18, back in the olden days. That's not true. They haven't done their study. Not at all. The average age is 24, right? And, uh, you, you, and, and a chick's not going to make you stop looking at porn. Your, your fear of God is. i got pagan friends that don't look at porn, right? So don't, don't marry a chick just because you think uh, sex will replace masturbation. It won't. It's a help against, against sexual morality. It's not... But, but be focused, guys. Build, build, build. Do something. Do something now. Work on that field. Like, get, get ahead of the harvest. Because when you're behind, and this is one thing to stumble when you're a teen, 20, 30, 40, but you see people stumble in their 50s and 60s, like you've, these mistakes have happened, uh, then it's hard to catch up. And this, a sluggard uh, does not plow after the autumn, so he begs during the harvest and has nothing. And that's a lot of us. We're beggars. We don't have much to give because we've been lazy. That's financially true. That's spiritually true. It's practically true. A sluggard lives for the weekend, snow days, and sleeping in. Proverbs 6, 9. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? Who here knows who Gary Vaynerchuk is? Gary V. You guys know who that guy is? All right. He's part of what I call hustle porn. Uh, these guys that like... It's all about like hustle, hustle, work real hard, whatever. But Gary, he's he's crazy what he's done. He's built this uh, marketing off. He he did a YouTube channel on wine like back in the early days of YouTube and built a huge following and then built a, a marketing company worth hundreds of I think it's like a hundred million or a couple hundred million now, whatever. He's he's always working really hard. He's never stopping. He's just driven. He's so driven. And uh, are we going to let pagans outwork us? Now look. 
he's got a work life a work uh, life balance problem. I'll admit that. But come on, guys. Like, you think the Bible's talking about 40-hour work weeks? Is that what you really think Scripture is talking about? It's like, you work six days. You work long days. That's why we need the Sabbath. It's one of the reasons we need the Sabbath. And so uh, a lot of us are really lazy. This is probably why we're looking, hey, you got any new shows? Right? Because <laughs> you're, not, you're not going at it hard. And we're sleeping. We're resting uh, too much to Here's my answer to it, is to, to get the, the Protestant work ethic back. The Puritans viewed all of life under the authority and counsel of God, which filled all human endeavors, not only religious activities with spiritual significance, but all of them. William Perkins, he instructed that the duties of love should motivate every person to pursue specific vocations in their spheres of life so as to become a servant to his brother. In other words, if you're a carpenter, a janitor, Running a warehouse, a salesman, a business, whatever. These particular vocations is one way you practically love your neighbors, right? God works through these. These things are holy. It's a service to God. Like through it, you worship him. And through it, you minister to your brethren. Your job isn't drudgery. I love Mondays. I love them. I love working. I love overcoming these things. It wasn't always that way. It's the Holy Spirit working in me. It's a ministry. It's an opportunity to bring good to others and glories of God. Dorothy Sayers, I don't like her on all things, but this particular quote I like. She says, the church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him not to be drunk and disorderly on Sundays. What the church should be telling him is this, that the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. <laughs> You're a carpenter. Do a really good job at what you do. Yeah. Like find, find, God made you to work. You were created to work. Work is a blessing. Now look, I know it's been cursed and I'll get back to that in a second. But the reason a lot of y'all are having financial problems or whatever is because a consumption issue and a production issue. Because we know that God makes rich the hands of the diligent. Now, don't let... Don't let the heretics steal scripture from you. I'm not a health and wealth guy. I don't, I don't believe that, right? I, used, I had a guy that asked me if I believed that healing was promised in the gospel. And I'm like, yeah, in the resurrection, right? We'll get a brand new body. Like, yeah, I'll be fully healed. Everything will be fine. And he said, well, you don't believe it in this life? And I said, well, do you believe it? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, why are you like, what's all these age spots on you? Like, what do you die of? Like, what, in the health and wealth gospel, what do you die from? I don't understand. Like, well, that's just aging. <laughs> what does that even mean, man? Like, you think you can sidestep it that easy? No, no, no. No, you're you're sick, dude. Your body's failing. And that's, you know, like so many of these things, we don't need to have an hour-long podcast on it. It's just like, no, that's stupid. And <laughs> just kind of I'm not gonna do that. Someone asked me what was my art. Wait, are you is there King James only people here? <laughs> okay. All right, I'll stay away from that one. Um yeah. Um, look, if you have not in this country, in America, it's, it's partially because you just lack hustle. You sleep too much, you're too lazy. That's the amazing thing about America. We can have these socialists and Marxists come in and destroy our economy, and we're still like running off the fumes of our godly forefathers. It's amazing. Like, I keep waiting for 
the Austrian view of economics to work, but somehow Keynesianism can just keep kicking the can down the road. Like, where is the deflation and inflation that I've been told is going to happen? It's going to be like Nigeria and all that stuff. I don't know if you read the things I read, but, uh, um, but I just think, like, this is a testament to how hardworking our forefathers were, the benefits that we have here. And uh, there's all sorts of side hustles and stuff you could do. You know what I love about side hustles? You can do them with your family. You know, I I, uh, I love to flip things. It's like a, it's a game for me to see like how low I can buy it, how high I can sell it. Obviously, balance weights. I'm trying to make sure the value's there, but um, and how quick I can do it. I'd bring my kids with me, and we'd go, you know, garage sailing. I'd buy something for a quarter, and then sometimes I'd get to be able to sell it for like a hundred bucks. Like I bought this uh, Doctor Robotnik uh, stuffed animal, which is the bad guy in Sonic the Hedgehog, and someone on eBay wanted to give me over a hundred bucks for it, and I was like. Yeah, I, we can make that deal, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I, uh, and so, but I bring my kids with me and they'd watch me like broker deals. And, and I w- later would say, Hey, why did I back off? Why didn't I buy it? What was I doing? Why did I just let him talk and just listen to his story? And, um, and why, why is this worth buying? Why does someone want to buy it for me, son? You know, what's after our expenses, what's the profit? What's our, you know, return on investment? These are little kids. And my kids know how to flip things. Cademan, uh, he's, uh, he's been my slug. I used to call him that. It's, boy, you're a slug. Got to stop being a slug. But I don't know what happened. There was a fire underneath of him. And uh, this old woman wanted, she lived down the street from us. She wanted uh, Hudson, my eldest, to help her do some work around the house. And she stopped by the front of her house one day, and Cademan was out there. And she was like, your dad said, uh, oh, one of y'all is going to help me. And Cayman's like, that's me. Totally wasn't him, right? He's like 10 years old. And Cayman helping someone do work, like, doesn't really make sense to me. Like, we, I'm trying to get him to do his own work, okay? But he goes down there, and he works with her. And he, instead of asking for money, sees two book sets. And he says, I'll do this all for those book sets, these encyclopedias, right? So then she gives him encyclopedias. He, he borrows a wagon to bring them down in different sets, you know. And then we sold the encyclopedias each for like a hundred and some dollars, 150 bucks, you know, um, because he saw, I used to sell books. And so he knew the value. And so by bringing my kids along with me on a side hustle, I, I taught them things like that. Find ways to make your home productive, okay? Um, learn to love productivity, man. It's so good. It's so good to eat uh, the vegetables that you planted. You ever done that? Plant something. Plant something this, this upcoming year and then eat it. I made that. I did that. It's fun. Sluggard is a know-it-all. Proverbs twenty-six sixteen. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can give a discreet answer. You want to know why they're a know-it-all? Because they sit around and dream all day. They sit, probably because they listen to five sermons a day, you know? Um, Talk, 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 talk. Read, 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 read. Lots and lots of knowledge. You know, I got all these, you know how it is in Christian circles. We all have friends that are into all sorts of weird stuff and um, want to talk to us about their weird stuff. And this is the thing with Reconstructionists and Libertarians. They're all the same to me. Like with Libertarians, they want to talk to me about privatizing roads. I think, man... This is one of the dumber conversations I've ever had. Like, we're talking about privatizing, because they want to talk about changing the United States. 
making it a libertarian paradise or whatever. And so they're like out there thinking about privatizing roads and parking lots and giving me this. And I'm thinking like, what are you actually doing in your local community? Are you like involved in politics in any way? Or you just sit around thinking about privatizing roads because you're like on some weird website. And what I realized about these people is that they love to talk about things that are way out there that they can't do anything about. So they can posture these big ideas. But them themselves, they actually aren't doing anything. And I started to realize, like, this is how a lot of Reformed people are, uh, or a lot of, like, theologically inclined people. They want to talk about abstract theology and issues, but it's actually, like, it's a, it's a way to keep, keep you from seeing what's really going on in their life. It's a way for you to not find out what the problems are. And so they want to argue about the latest things or, you know, weird, weird doctrine. There's so many. And I'm not saying that you can't have those conversations, uh, but some of these conversations, I feel like this would make sense if there was pot involved, but there wasn't. And we're just talking about weird stuff. And I'm looking at your life and your life, man. Like, I don't think you should be caring about it's like when people talk about women's suffrage with me. It comes up all the time. Do you think women should vote? I think we're a little ways away from dealing with that right now. I think we have some other fish that need to be fried. Why are we talking about this? Why do you want to know? Is this because you love controversy? Are you you're going to bring uh, something before Congress? What's your plan, man? Right? Um, why am I talking about this? Or you just like to talk about ideas. You know what Christians are nowadays? You know what they are? They're Mars Hill. Remember Mars Hill? They like to talk about every new issue, every little thing that comes up, every little controversy. It's like Christian paparazzi. We live for the gossip. I always think about people that talk about how evil celebrity culture is, but they're like lampreys on the side of the shark of celebrity culture, always caught up in it, always caught up in weird stuff. They have opinions and everything. It's good sometimes when someone says, what do you think about X, Y, Z? And you say, I don't know. The reason you don't know is you're busy doing other things. Why does he know? Well, because he's just like connected to his phone and scrolling and tracking the blogs and all that stuff. And all the while... His kids aren't being raised up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. His wife's not following him. He's fat. He's unhealthy, right? His home's a wreck. But man, oh man, he wants to talk to me about the problem of Beth Moore. And I would say, she's a problem. She's not your problem, right? You're your problem, man, you know? So sluggards know a lot. Spurgeon said, he who does little dreams much. It's got those pithy one-liners, schemers, always looking for a trick. That's why people always read, 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 read. When I started, a, I started an FBA business, Fulfilled by Amazon. And, uh, and what I realized with it, I kept listening to all these podcasts and YouTubes. This was a while back. I, I personally wouldn't recommend doing it right now. But, um, and then I realized, like, you know what, man? I just got to go out there. I just got to go out there and find things to sell. And I eventually did. It was like a miserable three months of scanning things I could sell on Amazon. Like, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. And just went. And then eventually, like, clicked and I figured it out. And it's like a lot of things, right? It's like you guys nailing these nails up here, right? Like, some of y'all, if you hit nails all week, you're going to, you remember in Karate Kid 2? That's what I was thinking about, where, like, like uh, Mr. Miyagi shows Daniel how to hit it with like one one hit. Like if you practice, you'd get really good. And you just have to throw yourself into life and not just always be a master of theory. And that's what a sluggard is. Okay, verse 30 pulls all these attributes together. He says, he went by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And that's just another way 
of defining sluggard, a man lacking sense. If you consume but don't produce, you lack sense. If you constantly must make excuses for yourself, but you think of yourself as wiser than others, you lack sense. If you're always kicking back, but will soon need to beg to sustain yourself, you lack sense. A sluggard, he lacks sense. He lives in opposition to natural principles that are easily discerned. He lives recklessly like there won't be any consequences for his actions. And he is only able to do this because he has cultivated a short memory. He only has a short memory because he lives for the moment. Brethren, we mustn't. We mustn't be like this. We have the word of God to instruct us. We have the spirit of God to empower us. And we have the hope of eternal life to motivate us. So we can't be sluggish in our faith. And it's easy to say amen. But there's a reason why being sluggish is a real temptation. Listen to uh, verse 31. And behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. And this describes the the result of his sluggishness, right? He didn't repair the wall when an animal kicked kicked it over, the rain eroded it. He didn't remove the thistles, the nettles when they were little weeds, and now they've overtaken the vineyard. He simply left it alone, and the earth reclaimed it. Think about that. This is the earth ruling over the man, not the man over the earth. This is all backwards. In Genesis 1.28, Moses writes, God blessed the man, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule it Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is often called the creation mandate. It's mentioned here and again repeated after uh, Noah. Uh, so the mandate's still in effect, but the fall did complicate things. Man was made from the earth to work the earth, and it's fitting that the curse affects his relationship to the earth. God says, curse is the ground because of you, and toil you will eat of it. All the days of your life, both thorns and thistles, it shall grow for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken for you are dust and dust you shall return. So the curse makes sluggishness a temptation. Being faithful is hard. You ever just think like I'll get I remember once I was like, I can do my own breaks. Piece of cake. So I go out there to do breaks on this Toyota I had. It was a Toyota. It was a Toyota, I think. And I didn't know there was like a little pin that held the caliper in. No one told me that. That was not, that's not what they have on like a, like a Ford. Um, that's probably why the Toyota works better. But, um, anyhow, I went out, I got it all out. I've got, I can do this in 30 minutes. Easy peasy. And then it's like five hours later. Uh, like I broke off the thing. It was like stuck in there because it was rusted. And then I eventually had to get a drill to drill it. It was terrible. Thorns and thistles, right? Things look easy and then they turn into a project. The ground's pushing back against us as we try to push forward. You can't mow your yard just once, right? You can't discipline your kids just once. You can't weed your garden just once. It must be done over and over again. It must be maintained. It must be a habit because weeds, because sin comes back. Remember the temptation of Jesus. He was tempted three times, then the devil left. But what does it say in Luke 4? When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. The devil hadn't given up. This wasn't over. He intended to tempt him again. The, the ease of the pre-fall world is no longer. It's here to remind us of our sin, of our father's sin, and our need for redemption. It's here to make us not feel too comfortable here. Remember, this place is cursed. To look forward to the world being uh, made right. 
We live in a fallen world that is cursed and therefore full of difficulty. The sluggish man hates this, and that's why the world reigns over him. That is why the nettles and thistles are everywhere. That is why he sees himself as a victim of outside forces, because he refuses to be diligent and fight back. Verse 32, when I saw, I reflected upon it. I looked and received instruction. And we can also learn from bad examples. But can you learn from your own bad example from your past? Can you look on how you used to be and receive instruction? Can you put away laziness and give yourself to productivity? Some, te- some temptations come to the industrious, but all temptations attack the idle. All. Verse 33 to 34, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then your poverty will come as a robber and your want like an armed man. I know we, we want to kick back, but we can't. This is true economically, but it's also spiritual. We have to be diligent. We have to make use of every tool God's provided us, namely prayer, the word of God, and the fellowship of the saints. Those, we, need, we need brothers. It's good to see men together. Men need a pack. You want, I'll give you proof that men need a pack to run with. What's the first thing that Solomon warns his son against? Bloodthirsty gangs. Like these guys are going to tell you, throw in with us. Because right, everyone wants a mission and guys to do it with. And the temptation of the young man is to run with the wrong people. But we need each other. And this is the builder summit, not the dreamer summit. Right? We're here to be real about where the walls are broken down. Not just in society, in your life. Let's, I don't want to talk to you about society. I really am not deeply interested in doing that this weekend. Uh, it starts with you, right? The problem with our country is the problem with our churches and our households. Our society is a collection of households. We've gone astray as a, as a nation, but it started in our homes, in our churches. And that's where, that's where we'll, if there's anything that's going to be fixed, it's going to be fixed there, right? By applying the gospel. So where are the walls broken down? Let's take ownership, develop a plan, and build. Here's my exhortation to you, brothers. Um, let's, let's be open this weekend. Don't put on a show. I don't care. I don't know you. You don't know me. We don't have to impress each other, right? Who cares? Who's watching? This isn't a competition. We, we're just, we want to worship God and live for him, right? We're all saved by grace. We all have to grow. You can be real here. You can. I there's nothing I haven't heard. Well, there's few things I haven't heard. I've heard some crazy things in my time. So I, uh, I'm not here to do anything but to spend time with you men. And whatever I have to give you, I'll give. Okay? And I know that's the same of the other men speaking here. That's their attitude. Where are things broken down in your life? Think. Think about it. And let's get the work done together of fixing them, okay? Let's pray.